Reactor online. Sensors online. Weapons online. All systems nominal. everyone, this is Carrie here with Unicorn Company. I want to begin by looking at some of the recent developments since we last spoke with which actually isn't much since last episode did cover everything in the news really and it's been a short time between them. Um, there have been some sneak peeks at things such as the new White Raven sculpt and some minor um, things involving myself such as an interview in the Magistry Monthly Magazine by Riley Centrella and that Battlebound um, just did a review of miniatures by Mift Kitty Minis. I recommend you check that out. Also, I want to give a shout out to Unicorn Company's newest patron, Will Scarvey. Thank you so much for helping to support the podcast. It's you and people like you who help to keep this going. So in this episode, technically we should be covering the Word of Blake Jihad. And I think in a way, before we do, we need to look at some of the key players in this part of the timeline, as for the most part, they were in the background until this part of the game's history. So, today, instead of diving straight into the Jihad, first we're going to look at some of the major players, and we're also going to look at a little bit of the background, and then we'll get into it. So, first of all, well, actually, we'll do background first. First of all, let's talk about the Word of Lake Jihad. As you may remember, the clans were stopped at Tukiat, and I may have mentioned that Myundo Waterley, the then Primus of Comstar, had ordered the beginning of Operation Scorpion, which was an attempt to interdict the entirety of the Inner Sphere, and because of her actions, Comstar was compelled to pretty much out themselves for all the misdeeds they had done since the fall of the Star Lake, to try to regain the trust of the Houses. When Comstar did this and dropped their religious trappings in an attempt to make themselves more appealing after trying to interdict and overthrow the clans and inner sphere single-handedly, there were a group of hardliners who rightly held that Waterley was assassinated. Made up mostly of veterans from Tukid and a majority of the Comstar intelligence branch, Rom, uh, they split off from Comstar and took refuge in the Free Worlds League. Eventually gaining enough power to administer the entire HPG network of the Free Worlds League and also began to skim off the top. Um, they were setting aside money for development of weapons and training soldiers with the idea of eventually taking back Terra and then to further their plans. In 3058, just six years after their initial schism with Comstar, the Ward of Blake was able to assault and capture a relatively lightly defended Terra. Comstar looked at this as a symbolic gesture as they had moved the majority of their military forces to Tukiad and the Free Roslog Republic to act as enforcers of the truce. This concentration on the clans is what gave the Ward of Blake their advantage in the initial attack in taking the Cradle of Humanity. Once they had taken the world, they did not sit idle. Instead, they began reopening long-closed factories, churning out mechs as quickly as they could. In addition, they would use the powerful assets they had in ROM to obtain newly developed technologies by the Great Houses and Comstar itself, as well as expanding on technologies that were thought too dangerous to be used in the long run, such as direct neural interface controls for mechs. This, in addition to the use of the hidden shipyards and worlds, 
long since forgotten where Comstar and in the word of Blake had been furthering developed technologies, training soldiers, and planning for a future that they thought would eventually have them as the head of a reborn Star League where everyone followed the teachings of Toyama and Blake and paid for by the money taking off administering HPG networks in both the Free Worlds League and the Capella Confederation would eventually make them a force to be reckoned with. Three of the main players in the Word of Blake, just before the Jihad, were Presenter Marshal William Blaine, the head of the True Believers faction of the Word. The True Believers were a faction of moderates, both acting as mediators between the other factions in the Word of Blake and believing they could eventually come to terms with the secular Comstar. The next big player in the Word at this time was Alexander Kurnoff. He was the head of Rom. He was also a member of the One Voice faction of the Toyama faction of the Word of Blake. The Toyama faction felt that it was necessary to bring the truth of Blake to the non-believers through any means. This included assassination, bombings, basically whatever they had to do, usually in a violent way. The final of the big three would be outwardly seen prior to the Jihad, who would be seen prior to the Jihad, was Cameron St. James presenter marshal, and leader of the 6th of June movement. The 6th of June is, well, anyone's worst nightmare when it comes to the crazy end of the Believers of Blake. The 6th of June was, it began as a radical part of the Toyama faction, eventually absorbing the entire thing. They were the extreme extremists. They were able to infiltrate the Free Worlds League extensively enough to steal 10% of their gross domestic product to help build their hidden army. They helped bring about the cybernetically enhanced Manai Domini, the line of supermechs called the Celestials, and assisted Kali Leao in the Black May terrorist attacks. Their relationship with Kali and her thuggy cult would go so far that during the Jihad, they gave her cybernetically enhanced infantry and advanced technology, which allowed her to raise her own rogue warrior house. Something else that the word had done was to work on the region around Terra after they seized the world, slowly gobbling up worlds of the Chaos March and integrating them into the Word of Blake Protectorate. This protectorate would slowly expand, giving them a buffer zone between Terra and the successor states, as well as providing them a valuable source of material and manpower. So before I go on, there is one other person who's very important to all of this, but nobody's going to mention him. Um, or he's not going to get that much mention, actually, because, well, to be fair, he's sort of a Mary, Mary Sue. Um, that would be Devlin Stone. You will hear about him later on. He has no background, so not much to talk about. Anyway, um, some people will say the Word of Blake Jihad itself, the Great War Between Terra and the Houses, began on December 5th at the 4th Star League Conference. I would definitely say that, in my opinion, the Jihad began a couple months earlier. Just no one wanted to notice. On October 15th, on the World of Outreach, Colonel Wayne Waco, commanding a group of mercenaries, attacked the Wolf's Dragoons on their home world. This was done by smuggling in equipment to the outskirts of Harlech, the capital of Outreach, and eventually assaulting the Dragoons' home world, as the majority of the unit was off-world. Or home guard, not home world. Um, this caused the death of Jamie Wolf and would eventually culminate in the nuclear annihilation of the world on December 26th. While this fighting was going on, the Starlink Conference began on November 18th, and eventually 
there was a vote to disband the League, as it was more or less there to provide for the annihilation of a clan. Additionally, two of the major houses in it were heavily decimated and felt they needed time to recover. In response to this, on December 5th, the Word of Blake brought a long-lost Lyran warship, which they had rediscovered and refurbished, and began firing on Tharkat, where the conference was held. Later, it was believed that the warship was bought as a gift to the Lyrans, as well as materials to rebuild the world in a gesture of goodwill for the Word of Blake being accepted into the Star League, which is what they had anticipated. Of course, this never came to pass. In the Federated Suns, a similar scene played out on New Avalon, where what was to be a relief force bringing raw materials and skilled workers to help rebuild infrastructure instead became a hastily organized invading force. In the Draconis Combine, the opening of the Jihad began in earnest around the 19th of December, when the HPGs fell silent there. Within two days, the Star League Novacats, having no more Star League to defend, and with Luthien becoming dead silent, decided to retreat into the Iris Prefecture until they could figure out what to do. At the same time, the Black Dragon Society had begun a rebellion on Luthien, with the intent of overthrowing the Coordinator, and were able to gain control of the world nominally on December 30th. The new year in the Combine began with the Word of, Word of Blake assaulting Luthien, and much to their dismay, being engaged by both the Black Dragon and what was left of the Draconis Combine Muster Soldiery on World, leading to what essentially was a three-way fight for the Black Pearl of the Combine. Twenty days later, the Word sent a pair of warships to attack Comguard's headquarters on Tukiad, causing the loss of two Comguard warships in the process, and on the 28th, bombarded the planet, destroying any Comguard or Star League defense forces on the world. So, I'm going to try to stick with big sweeps here, because, well, it would take forever to list everything that happened. Needless to say that by planting some seeds in the border region of the Free Worlds League, that the Lyrans attacked them, and even assassinated one of their nobles. They goaded the Free Worlds League military into jumping the border with the Lyran Alliance, while reinforcing their forces on Tharkad. By March, Comstar had organized 11 divisions to invade Terra. This invasion, called Case White, was a complete failure, with the destruction of all forces involved, and only destroying an estimated one division of Word of Blake forces. Additionally, this showed the limits the Word of Blake was willing to go, as they deployed nuclear weapons where Comstar did successfully land. In the middle of the year, the Word of Blake assaulted Solaris 7, where the stables actually banded together to begin fighting against them. And the word also captured Hohiro Kurita. And, it, ca and it, also, it also captured several more worlds to absorb into its protectorate, often resorting to the use of nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons to achieve their victories. The next month in July, the biggest thing is, was the capture of Kai Allard Lao by the bounty hunter, who brings him to the Federated Suns, touching off a war between the Capellan... Confederation, and the Federated Sons, locking those two nations in combat, much like Laren and Merrick states. By the fall, the Fed Sons' Draconis March had begun to assault an undefended combined border as they dealt with internal problems, and the head of the Pesht Military District assumed command of the Draconis Combine Military, as no clear leader was known at that time. The Capella March of the Fed Sons was making deep raids into the Confederation, while the Free Worlds League was pushing deeper into a beleaguered Lyran state. By early October, Siam, the capital of the 
Capellan Confederation, can't talk, was being bombarded by what were believed to be Federated Sons warships. At the end of the month, the Word of Blake assassinated the majority of the Free World League Parliament and the First Knights of the Inner Sphere, revealed Thomas Merrick to be an imposter, caused a polarizing polarization, and shattered the Free World League member states. At the end of 3068, the Draconis Combine Military Command had been moved to New Samarkand. Samarkand. The Word of Blake destroyed the, the SLDF's 151st Aridani Light Horse Regiment, which was stationed on Columbus, which was a listening post. And Chancellor Sun Tzu Liao is miraculously pulled from the Rebel of Siam, alive and relatively well. Major events in the spring of 3069 began with Hohiro being rescued by surviving elements of the Royal Black Watch. The Word of Blake destroyed an entire Snow Raven fleet through sabotage. The Federated Sons, having their fortunes turn on them in the Combine and Confederation. And the Jade Falcons took advantage of the situation by reopening hostilities with the Lyrans. So, we could go on and on. But in essence, during this time, there was no real defense against the Word of Blake. No end in sight as it became more and more clear that not only was the word willing to resort to nuclear weapons, but they had other weapons at their disposal, such as the Manai Domini, who linked directly to their machines and considered normal people to be what they called frails, as they weren't cybernetically enhanced. These troops were initially designed to combat and annihilate the clans, as was the massive nuclear, chemical, and biological arsenal. Part of the reason for the attack on the Dragoons was their clan origins. Another part was the interference that they had been running as far as the expansion of the uh, Protectorate. So the Ward didn't have a lot of weak spots at first, as between their own assaults on multiple, multiple worlds, in addition to them helping start conflicts between all the houses, the Inner Sphere was in no position to mount any unified defense. This went on until about 3072, when we see small coalitions defeating the Word of Blake, such as one which liberated Tharkad consisting of Lyrans, Wolves, Kelhounds, and Dragoons. Small coalitions began forming like this in an, in an effort to defeat what was becoming a recognized threat. On 3073, a few things would happen. First, during a major summit between the leaders of all the great houses, a bomb implanted in Fritz Donner, who is there to give information on the Word of Blake activities in this... Cer I don't know how to pronounce this properly, so please, every time I say it, bear with me. Circinus Federation would kill a number of the delegates, stalling Allied efforts to stop the Word of Blake. Later that year, a major player to emerge in helping counter the Blakist was... Oh, why does he have to have this name? Transit... Chandra Sikhar Kurita, who would begin to bring multinational forces together under his command, as well as use his deep pockets and various contacts to dig up information on the Blakist. Uncle Chandy, as he came to be known, was key in getting a coalition of forces to work together. Eventually, they discovered and destroyed the Word of Blake secret shipyards, the ruins of Gabriel, the same year. Devlin Stone arrived on Tukiad, challenged the clan Ghost Bear who had taken possession of the world for the use of the HPG, 
and began to set up a coalition of his own, consisting of forces from all over the inner sphere, and even some of the clans. Much of the coalition was originally being organized by Chandy, and would eventually find themselves under the command of Stone. Meanwhile, something that no one expected to happen happened. The Ghost Bears suddenly came out of their occupation zone, and began to destroy Word of Blake forces with an intensity that no one had seen before. Chandra Sakar had uncovered information that indicated that some of Clan Wolverine may have been at the heart of the Word of Blake, and handed this knowledge over to the Ghost Bears, knowing that they had a blood oath to wipe out any remaining Wolverines. Once they had this information, they felt it was their duty to kill the Blakists and to test each and every person that they had slain in order to determine whether or not they were, were related to the not-named clan in order, to, in order to do this and just to be safe. It was better to just kill them and then test the dead rather than take prisoners and try to test the living. The Ghost Bear Rampage would last from December 3074 to September of 3075 when they, have, we, they were eventually convinced to work with Devlin Stone's coalition. Instead of just rampaging around the Intersphere, wiping out Blakists and testing them for Wolverine genetics. With this large coalition at his back, Stone was able to achieve victory after victory, slowly pushing the word forces to Terra as well as isolating the Manai Domini in the periphery, putting the more conventional Comstar forces on the back foot. And by 3077, this, the Coalition has begun, had begun to assault the Blakist Protectorate surrounding Terra itself. Oddly enough, the Capellans, who, maybe not a, that oddly seeing as how they were and weren't getting help from the Blakists at the same time, but... That's probably a whole different thing for a whole different day. Um, they decided to sit this one out and let the Coalition reclaim Capellan worlds, obviously expecting to just swoop in behind them and take them all back. Even with the forces encountering operational SDS systems with drone warships, something not seen since the Star League, and the Shadow Divisions doing everything from assassinating army group commanders to retaking worlds in the wake of the invasion, the Coalition continued to drive for Terra. Finally, on the 15th of August, after numerous scouting raids of the system and an unknown secret mission undertaken by Stone and some ComGuard units, the invasion of the Terra system began in earnest. After first destroying the Blakist defenders on the moon, this, the Coalition established a beachhead on Terra itself in Dallas-Fort Worth and the Yucca Flats with a failed attempt at Hilton Head. There are also successful landings at or near Rio de Janeiro, Sandhurst, Geneva, Singapore, Tokyo, Moscow, Cairo, Athens, and Sydney. The attack on Cairo was, was initially defeated by the use of chemical weapons by the Word of Blake, and the Blakists used nuclear weapons at Dallas-Fort Worth. Eventually, the coalition forces forced Kurnoff to take refuge in what was left of Cairo while being surrounded and besieged, and Cameron St. James forced to retreat under the superior numbers and firepower of the Coalition, retreated to a Castle Bryan located under Devil's Rock on the North American continent. By the end of 3079, 
the Warda Blake forces are so desperate that they are using tactical nuclear weapons as well as some strategic nuclear weapons with almost reckless abandon. St. Jameis was finally killed in an attempt to break out from the Devil's Tower complex, which was destroyed from within by a nuclear device. After this, the highest-ranking member of the Warda Blake, a presenter in Geneva, calls for a ceasefire and surrendered to the coalition. The majority of forces followed this order with a few holdouts, and for the most part, the Warda Blake's control over the Terran system was at an end, with the last forces surrendering on January 5th of 3079. The final death knell for the Warda Blake, though, occurs in April of 3081. Arriving over Circinus, where the Warda Blake's Mani Domini are commanded by their master, the Regulans do not attempt to take the world. Instead, they bathe it in nuclear fire until everything and everyone on the world are ash. As the end of hostilities, there are some of the shadow divisions which were unaccounted for, and rumors of what happened to him continued, but there's no real outside threat presented by them, at least not anymore. The jihad was over. At the center of the inner sphere, the Republic of the Sphere is formed, with Devlin Stone at its head, and ironically enough, the Word of Blake united the inner sphere and clans in purpose and helped to bring about what would be a short-lived but important sense of unity in the inner sphere. I know that in covering this, I did gloss over a large swath of time in the middle of the war. But to be honest, a full blow-by-blow -blow of the war would have taken a very, very long time. Also, I brought up the Wolverines. I'm not sure that many of you are familiar with their supposed annihilation, but not many of you coming into the game are probably aware of their supposed fate. I do plan on covering that from beginning to end at some point. Likely after I've covered all of the different eras. So lastly, the entire conflict was presented in a way that FanPro, who held the license at the time, thought best. They were unable to print new fiction books, as WizKids wanted the fiction to focus on the era that they were using for their game, MechWarrior Dark Age. And so Battletech found itself in this weird limbo where we really couldn't go past what WizKids had covered, and so the Jihad became a multi-year spanning story, one of the most detailed that we've ever actually had as far as... Um, information that we got about what happened and, and stuff like that. Sorry about that. Turn off the volume on my phone so it doesn't do that again. Um, but as I was saying, we had gotten a certain amount of information over the course of the Jihad, which it was, when you compare it to the amount of information we get Oh my goodness, really? Compared to the amount of information that we got from, say, um, okay, I, you know what? I'm just turning off the phone. Power off. People wanting to fight with me on Facebook. <laughs> anyway, um, so 
we got a ton of information during the jihad. And the reason we got all this information is because they couldn't really go into the Dark Age era. And they couldn't go pat they couldn't hop over it either, because WizKids essentially was like, Well, you have to work with what's in the wake of the Dark Age. So we had a lot of historical products at the time. We got a ton of information on the jihad, but it, you would never get stuff that was fully fleshed out a lot of times until the next book, because it was presented in a in-universe manner. So it was chaotic and crazy. And there was nothing else they could really do because they couldn't write books. And that was, that had been Battletech's bread and butter for years. And, of course, WizKids was focused on this little tiny thing inside the Republic. They wanted to focus just in the Republic and the collapse of the Republic and sort of left everybody else in huge limbo. Like, nobody knew what was going on in the Federated Sons, the Confederation, the Combine, the Free Worlds League, what was left of it. Um, the Laren State, the clans, you know, it was just all left in limbo. So... I do know that the game itself, Battletech, during this period, went through some rough times as well. Um, a lot of game stores, like uh, game stores that I went to commonly, told me outright, Battletech is dead. And the only time to play often was online. And this is before Mega Mech. So, you know, no tabletop simulator, no Mega Mech. People were playing games through internet relay chat. And each side, each player would have a copy of the map set up um, on a table nearby. And you had a dice rolling bot in the, in the IRC server. And, you know, that was how it worked. So it was interesting. I mean, it made double, bl double blind games very possible, but it was very tedious. <sighs> so that's the story of the Jihad. The conflict that no one seemed to like where people accused the Blakists of being the ultimate Mary Sues and felt like everything was rushed. While in reality, the era was being slowly developed because no one knew when they would be able to write anything in the Dark Age or how that would even look. While I know that many of you expect me to cover the Dark Age next, I am sorry to disappoint, but I won't be. At least not yet. You see, Concurrent to the Jihad, there was another conflict going on. In clan space, there was a group called the Society. And they thought it would be best to do something about the caste system. And the warrior elite. So, we'll be covering them and what happened there in our next episode. But, since we've been discussing the Word of Blake Jihad this whole time, let's go ahead and take a look at one of the mechs from this era. And to be fair... This isn't just any mech from the era. It is the end-all be-all of the Word of Blake's technology for the time period. This is the monster known as the Archangel. The Archangel is part of a series of mechs known as Celestials. These machines were designed exclusively for use by the Manai Domini units, utilizing a direct neural interface system instead of a neuro helmet, literally making the mech an extension of the pilot. A quick tangent, the technology for the DNI system in the Inner Sphere was inspired by the use of the Clan Enhanced Imaging System, which worked in a similar manner to DNI, which that 
the Federated Commonwealth developed. And they first used it on an experimental mech called the Prometheus. No relation to Victor's Daishi. The system was at some point later obtained by the Word of Blake and used by them in their celestial mechs. DNI does have uses outside of the Celestials, as it is used in the Protomech program that the clans have, as the cramped space in a Protomech does not give you enough room for a neuro helmet or traditional cockpit. The system would also see later use by the clans in the Dark Age era with the Skinwalker, which we've already covered. So let's get back to the Celestials, though, and specifically the Archangel. The Archangel is a 100-ton Omnimech that is built around attrition. The mech itself is built on an endosteel chassis and powered by a 300-rated compact fusion engine, so it takes up less room in the torso and is harder to hit with critical hits. The mech takes this further by using a compact gyro, once again making it harder to get that, hit that gyro when there's other stuff in the, in the torso, and also a small cockpit, which... It makes it harder to pilot, but the DNI system sort of cancels that out. For protection, the Archangel has an impressive 19.5 tons of armor and is cooled by 12 double heat sinks. Finally, in the base chassis, the mech has a hardwired improved C3 computer and 36 tons available pod space for weapons and equipment in its cavernous torsos and arms. In its primary or Invictus configuration, as the toaster worshippers called it, the Archangel hits hard at medium to close range. In its right arm, it carries a heavy PPC and has a retractable blade. In its left arm, in its left arm, sound like it's going to start a new sentence there, right? Right. In its head, it mounts a plasma rifle with two tons of ammunition in its center torso. The plasma rifle and heavy PPC are linked to a targeting computer mounted in the left torso. And to help cool the machine, it carries an additional double heat sink. And due to the three jump jets mounted in the mech, it has enhanced mobility. This mech is literally meant to find you in a dark alley and mug you. By stabbing you, probably. The primary configuration has a battle value of 2237. The Alpha, or Dominus configuration, emulates successful designs like the Awesome. Carrying a pair of heavy PPCs in each arm and a snub-nosed PPC in its head, it brings a good amount of medium-range firepower. Add to this the two ear medium lasers in the center torso, and you have a solid mid to short range mech. To handle the incredible amount of heat this configuration produces, carries eight additional double heat sinks, which not only gives it a, respect a respectable amount of cooling, but can also soak up critical damage, making this configuration even more of a zombie. The alpha configuration has a battle value of 2134. The Bravo, or Infernus configuration, carries this mech association with PPCs even further, carrying a right-arm-mounted heavy PPC, two light PPCs in the left arm, and a snub-nosed PPC in the head, and, in the, and another in the center torso. This configuration then fills every available ton with double heat sinks, making it another terrifying zombie cre creation, built to outlast its opponents, and comes in at a battle, battle value of 12. 2069. In its Charlie or Commonus configuration, I figure Commonus would be like the first one because it's the most commonly seen. At least I, I need to see what Commonus means in Latin though. Anyway, the Archangel takes on the role of a missile boat with a medium range missile launcher in each arm, 
with a total of four tons of ammunition, allowing it to sustain a barrage for up to two minutes. As secondary weapons, it carries an ER medium laser in each side torso and a rear-mounted ER small laser in the center torso. The mech has case in each side torso and a Guardian ECM suite to interfere with enemy electronics and detection systems, meaning this mech can wait in ambush hidden in a city and strike the moment something crosses its path, which is the most opportune moment for it to strike with the less than accurate medium-range missiles. The battle value of this configuration is 2010. Next we have the Delta, Luminous in Wobbly, which is a good ranged and knife fighter. For long range, the mech has an ERPPC in each arm, giving the respectable punch. At short range, it's kind of terrifying. It has four medium pulse lasers, an ER small laser, a Guardian ECM suite, and I've written the ER small laser twice. So we'll not worry about the second mention. If it's close enough to bring all of its short-range arsenal to bear, it has cut you off from any friendly electronic communication systems or anything like that, and has effectively isolated you. The Delta has a battle value of 2105. Finally, we have the Echo or Eminus configuration. This configuration is much like the other ones, and it carries an arsenal of PPCs. It has an ER PPC in each arm, a light PPC in the center torso, an ER large laser in the head, and an ER small laser in each side torso. The mech links all of these weapons to an advanced targeting computer, making it a highly accurate sniper. The configuration's battle value is 2097. Alright, so, before we get into the Alpha Strike stats for this thing, I want to talk about its effect on Battletech. Because until this time, there was nothing like this seen in the game. All of the Celestials were pretty good, but this one, this machine was a monster to take down. With so many components to soak damage, especially in its all con energy configurations, and with a compact engine and gyro, the mech either had to be cored or it had to have its head shot off. Otherwise, it would just keep coming for you like Michael Myers. An app description as... The primary configuration has a knife built into it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you are, this incredible zombiness didn't transfer over to the alpha, to alpha Strike so much. It is still a solid attrition mech, but it is outpaced by some of the newer designs with heavy armor like the Viking 2C, so let's look at it in Alpha Strike. Being an Omni-Mech, the Archangel has some things going for it. One of these things is it will have a similar stat line in each of its configurations. Okay, I thought I turned you off. Off. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So let's start with the part that will never change. It is Type Battle Mech, Size 4, Target Movement Modifier of 1, Movement of 6, it has armor and structure of 10 each and always has the C3I, Omni, and Mech Head MHQ2, Mech Headquarters 2, special abilities. So, knowing the base stat lines for the Mech, let's look at the primary configuration. Right off the bat, it adds a jump ability to its stats. 
It has a roll of sniper and comes in at 54 points. The damage profile on the primary configuration is 3 at short and medium and long of, of 2. And it has no overheat. This mech also has the e energy, ECM, melee, and saw special abilities. The alpha configuration is a juggernaut with a cost of 56 points. This machine is less maneuverable than the primary but brings a bit more firepower. It has a short and medium value of 4, a long of 3, and an overheat of 1. And only adds the ENE special ability to the base abilities. The Bravo configuration is almost identical to the Alpha. The only changes are that it does not have an overheat ability. It costs 55 points and is a sniper instead of a juggernaut. So it's like uh, one point saving, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Charlie configuration is one of the scarier versions in Alpha Strike. Um, with it being built around the massive medium-range missile systems in Battletech, in Alpha Strike it ends up with a short medium-range value of 6 with no long-range value and no overheat. It has the role of Juggernaut and has the additional special abilities of Case, ECM, and Rear Zero Asterisk at short and medium and nothing at long. This configuration comes at comes in at an even 60 points, and in my opinion is one of the better configurations for actually trying to slug it out instead of depending on attrition. The Delta configuration goes back to the energy boat well for, for of the first three, and it adds jump to its profile. It has a damage profile of four at short and medium and two at long, and it does have an overheat of one. Its special abilities, in addition to the base ones, are ECM and ENE, and energy, ENE, and comes in at a total of 58 points. <clears throat> Finally, we have the Echo variant. This configuration is the only true sniper out of the bunch for Alpha Strike. With a short, medium, and long-range value of 4, it can hit pretty well at all the ranges, and it does have an overheat of 1. The mech has the ENE special ability and comes in at 57 points, making it comparable to most of the configurations. Now, I know all these descriptions are short, but I want to talk about why this mech would be scary in Alpha Strike. First of all, armor and structure are of 10 are the highest are, are not the highest you can get any longer, but they are terrifying. If you add to that that this mech is not meant to work alone, but is meant to work in, a, in concert with up to five other units that have the C3I ability, then it gets scary. In fact, I will say that if you are ever playing mechs with C3 or the C3I special ability, you should always take groups that will work together. This is because the points cost of the units of any of them with any of the C3 abilities automatically assume it's linked to a network. So if you don't take compatible C3 units, you're essentially wasting points. <clears throat> also, the reason I mention this is that because in Alpha Strike, it doesn't take into account the small cockpit. And with C3i, you can put it with a group of relatively low-skill pilots. And if you play that right, you're going to always be shorting, shooting at medium to short range. So... I mean, we haven't really touched on C3 networks that much in Alpha Strike, but honestly, this is, quite frankly, it's a very powerful tool. C3i, because you <clears throat> you can block a mech out of the network, but you can't block the rest of the network. 
is terrifyingly good. Um, yeah, you'll be able to block that one guy that went into short range with you with the ECM, but everybody else still is giving that that sniper in the back really good numbers. So, yeah, um, C3I is a terrifying tool. C3I with the Celestials is doubly so. So, I mean, that's really everything for this episode about the Word of Lake Jihad. And I'm sure that by now, given how many times I've said that word, that someone at the FBI or NSA is listening to this. And if you are, hi there, agent person. Um... It's also everything about, like, that mech. And it gives you an idea of the other Celestials as well. Um, terrifyingly good. All of them, I believe, had a configuration with, with a retractable blade, like some kind of weird Assassin's Creed thing was going on. Um, that was before Assassin's Creed, though. So, But, yeah, I really think there needs to be somebody in the Dark Age who is somehow still piloting a Celestial named Ezio. You know, not a Blakus, just somebody who, yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's all my thoughts, really. If, you know, if those of you who have listened this far and who are federal, who are federal, or who are federal agents who are making sure this is harmless, you know, want to go ahead and help support the podcast please go to patreon.com slash unicorn company where you get perks from a shout out to getting miniatures every month. In addition to other things like custom alpha strike card PDFs that I release for the, the mechs that I do cover. Um, still catching up on those. If you don't want to join Patreon, but still wish to help, you can also support us by going to our sponsor, Mift Kitty Minis at miftkittyminis.bigcartel.com. So with that, I hope you all have a good day, good night, good evening, good whatever it is where you are when you are listening. This is Carrie signing off. I'm gonna find my meaning, I can make a change. I wanna play the game. You wanna sink or swim?